and help everybody to be attentive and to understand, Lord. And, and Lord, I, I pray that we leave here tonight just knowing that we've uh, spent some time digging in your word and learning from your Bible. We love you, Father. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, well we find ourselves there in Acts chapter number 10. And before we even get started, I just want to make a a, a few points. I don't know if you've noticed this, but as as we've been going through the book of Acts on on Wednesday nights, but God, in in the last few chapters, has uh, initiated a shift, if you will, uh, towards the Gentiles. If you remember in Acts... In Acts chapter number 8, in fact, you can just turn, turn a page and go back there. In Acts chapter number 8 and verse 1, the Bible says, And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So, in Acts 8.1, God brought out or allowed a persecution to come to the church in Jerusalem. And what that persecution did, it was it forced them out of Jerusalem into Judea and unto Samaria. I pointed this out before, but it's interesting to me that in Acts 1.8, we find the Great Commission. Right before Jesus Christ ascends to heaven, in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, But ye shall receive power... After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Judea and in, uh, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So in Acts one eight, Jesus told them, "I want you to go to the uttermost parts of the earth." But for seven chapters, they stayed in Jerusalem. Acts one eight, he says, "Go." Seven chapters, they stay. Acts eight one, he forces them to go. Isn't that interesting? The numerology there of the, of the verses and stuff. Acts 1.8, he says go, they don't go. Acts 8.1, they're forced to go because of persecution. Later on in Acts, uh, verses 5-25, through Philip goes out and preaches a great revival in Samaria to half Jew, half Gentiles in Samaria. And then if you remember the last part of Acts 8, Philip preached to the Ethiopian eunuch. In Acts chapter number 9, if you remember, we, we dealt with the subject of, of um, Paul was confronted by Jesus Christ. Paul was converted by uh, a soul winner there. And, and Paul, as you know, is going to be the great missionary to the Gentiles. So God has begun to initiate a shift towards uh, getting Gentiles saved. And now here in Acts chapter number 10, he's going to make it even more clear that now he wants the gospel preached to the Gentiles. And this ought to be a very important chapter for us because as far as I know, uh, everybody here is a Gentile. You know, if you're not a Jew, you are a Gentile. And the reason that you had the opportunity to be saved has a lot to do with Acts chapter number 10. So let's go ahead and, and, and look at this chapter, Acts 10. First thing I'd like you to see is the vision that Cornelius had. The vision that Cornelius had. Look at verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. This person is a, uh, a Gentile. A centurion of the band called the Italian band. So see there, he's an Italian man. Verse 2. A devout man, and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms. That word alms there, uh, in, the, in the King James Bible, when he uses the word alms, it's talking about a charitable gift, when you give to the poor. This, I want you to see, this is a very good person. The Bible says he was a devout man. He was a devoted man. He feared God. He, 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 um, his house gave much alms to the people, to the poor people. And the Bible says that he prayed to God always. Look down at verse number 3. Acts chapter number 10, look at verse number 3. This good man, Cornelius, saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour. Now, if you were, if you were here on Sunday morning, maybe you remember, does anybody remember what the ninth hour is for the Jewish uh, people there? 
Anybody remember at all? None of you were here. The ninth hour is 3 p.m. Yeah, because they would start at 6 a.m. So the third hour would be 9 a.m., the sixth hour would be noon, and the ninth hour, the ninth hour would be 3 p.m. Um, that's, so, so, see, you guys didn't know. I'm going to be testing you on this stuff. No, I'm just kidding. So about the ninth hour of the day of the angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. So an angel shows up. And when he had looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa, and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodges with one Simon a tatter, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants, and a devout soldier of them that waited on him. And when he had declared... All these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. Uh, is, is it warm in here? Is it warm? Honey, if you could grab that air conditioner. I'm talk- I like to talk to my wife through the monitor. I, I just, it's funny, every time I talk to my wife, I look at the monitor. But uh, she, she's back there with the kids, but she could grab that. Alright, so uh, we're there introduced to Cornelius. Cornelius is a good man, devout man, uh, a Gentile man, prays to God, gives much alms, fears God, a devout man. But here's what you got to understand about Cornelius. A very good person, but he's not saved. He's not a Christian. And God has an angel. The Bible says that God heard his prayers. And God's heart may be broke for this man who's a very good person but not saved. And God sent an angel to get Cornelius saved. Is that what happened? What happened? God sent an angel and what does the angel say? Go find Peter. I don't know if you've noticed as we've been going through the scriptures... But in Acts chapter number 8, did God send an angel to the eunuch to get the eunuch saved? No. God sent an angel to Philip and sent Philip to the eunuch to get him saved. In Acts chapter number 9, did Paul, you know, we went through it and I won't go through it tonight, but we completely annihilated the belief that Paul got saved on Damascus Road because he did not. He got saved three days later. When God sent a soul winner, sent a person to get him saved. And in Acts chapter number 10, God sends an angel and directs him to a soul winner. So it's very clear in the Bible that the way God works is through evangelism. It's through soul winning. It's through people getting other people saved. He never sends an angel. He never sends Jesus Christ. He never sends somebody to get somebody saved. He always sends a person, a human vessel, a human instrument to get them saved. No difference here. If you study the Bible, it's interesting how consistent God is. Every time He sent an angel, but He never allowed the angels, or in in Acts 9, Jesus Christ Himself appeared to Saul. But neither one of them got those people saved. They always forwarded them to a soul winner. I also want you to notice this, and this has really, there's not, you know, it doesn't have a lot to do with the sermon, but if you you look at verse 4, Acts 10.4, it says, And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. Skip over to verse number 30. Look at verse number 30. Verse 30 and 31 says, And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. Look at verse 31, Acts 10, 31, And said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up my entire life hearing this. God does not hear the prayers of the unsaved. And I just got to ask this question. Is that true? No, it's not. 
You know, and, and here's, here's one of the main focuses of Verity Baptist Church. We, at Verity Baptist Church, attempt to prove everything, everything we believe, every doctrine we teach, everything we, you know, we enforce in our lives or we preach from the pulpit, we try to get it from the Bible. And, I, and, I, and I'm trying to teach you a, a way of thinking. You ought to question everything. And, you know, you ought not listen to me preach and just accept that as gospel. When, when somebody preaches God's word, you ought to open up your Bible and make sure that that's what... Because look, somebody could lie to you. You know, in my whole life I heard people say, uh, you know, God only hears the prayers of Christians. He doesn't hear the prayers of the unsaved. Well, he obviously heard the prayers of Cornelius. So, you know, so that's something there. You know, and again, not a big deal, but we got to understand that we must filter everything through the Bible. People often ask me, oh, I, you know, uh, I, I was taught this, or, or I heard a preacher say this, or I, I read this in an article, a Christian article, or in a Christian book, and they'll say, what do you think about that? And, and, and every time, you know, it, it gets to a point where I feel like I'm being repetitive, but it seems like every time I'm just referring you to the Bible. Well, what does the Bible say? Because we've got to understand, this is the Word of God, and this is going to be our, our uh, authority in all matters of faith and practice. But anyway, we saw there uh, the vision that Cornelius had. I'd like you to see the vision that Peter had. The vision that Peter had. Look down at verse number 9. Acts chapter number 9, 10. Look at verse number 9. The Bible says, On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh into the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the six hours. What's the six hour? Oh, come on. Noon. Six hours noon, right? So that's about lunchtime, right? And he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. So you see there, he got hungry. Why? Because it's noon. It's lunchtime. And while they were making ready, they were making the meal, he fell into a trance, and saw heaven opened, and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet, knit at the four corners, and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call thou not common. And this was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now you're probably thinking to yourself, what, what, what is this all about? Well, here's what you got to understand. When you study the Bible, oftentimes we've got to look at different things. When we look at these stories and we try to apply them, there's oftentimes a physical application or an initial application, and then also a spiritual application. The reason... Peter saw this vision, he saw, a, you know, put it in our terminology, he saw a blanket, like a picnic blanket, come down from heaven. <laughs> and had all these animals. And he heard a voice from heaven, God said to him, rise Peter, kill and eat. But these animals were animals that Peter had never ate, and here's why. Because they were animals that were forbidden due to the Levitical law. Is everybody familiar with that? In the Levitical law, in the law of Moses, I was just reading this in my own Bible study today, I was reading through the book of Leviticus, when Moses gave the law, or when God gave the law through Moses, he gave a dietary uh, structure there, and there were certain things that the children of Israel were allowed to eat and were not allowed to eat. For example, you might know that Jewish people don't eat pork. You know, that's something that they weren't allowed to eat. If you want to know the rule, the rule was you were only allowed to eat meat of animals that chewed the cud and split the hoof. So if you had an animal that chewed cud and, and it split the hoof, you could eat it. So, right, so an example would be like a cow. A cow chews the cud. You look at his... Is there someone at the door? Oh, it's a kid's plane? Yeah, don't, don't worry about it. Appreciate it, though. So you think of a cow. He, it chews the cud and it has a split hoof. 
good to eat. A camel chews a cut, has no split hook. It has whatever it has, like a huge paw. <laughs> so you weren't allowed to eat a camel. You know, so there's certain animals, same thing with a uh, with a with the pig. Pig has a it split the hoof, but it doesn't chew the cud, so you weren't allowed to eat the pig. So they had dietary restrictions all throughout the Old Testament. Certain things they were allowed to eat, certain things they weren't allowed to eat. Now today, there are Christians who teach, for example, the Seventh-day Adventist is a very popular, and there's other. I know of Baptists who do this, but uh, the Seventh-day Adventists and other denominations will teach that, uh, you know, we should follow those dietary uh, uh, rules. That we shouldn't eat pork in the, as New Testament believers, and we shouldn't eat, you know, you shouldn't eat shrimp. I know some of you like shrimp. I think Miss Carol likes shrimp, right? You know, you're, you need to get right with God. You know, you're, you're, they say you shouldn't eat shrimp. They say you shouldn't eat certain animals because of dietary, the Levitical dietary restriction. Now you say, well, Pastor Jimenez, do you, do you uh, agree with that? I don't agree with that in the slightest bit, and I'll prove it to you from the Bible. Number one, we see here, God tells Peter to rise and eat. And Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I've never ate anything that was common or unclean. And it's true. In the Levitical law, those things were considered common and unclean. But God says to him, if you look at verse 15, And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. So God said, Look, I cleansed it. Don't call it common. Eat it. Go with me to 1 Timothy, chapter number uh, 4. You're there in Acts. Go with me to 1 Timothy. It's very interesting. Uh, the terminology that's used there, 1 Timothy, chapter number 4. Uh, you're there in Acts. I want to go to Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, chapter number 4. 1 Timothy, chapter number 4, look at verse number 1. 1 Timothy, chapter number 4, and look at verse number 1. If you can find there, the, all, all the T-books are kind of joined together. 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, and Titus. So if you can find the T's, you'll be able to find 1 Timothy, chapter number 4. Look at verse number 1. 1 Timothy, chapter number 4, and verse 1. The Bible says this, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry... And commanding to abstain from meats. Notice what he says. There are going to be religions who are going to forbid you to marry. Talking to a preacher, because First Timothy is all about Paul. Talking to a preacher. Do you know of a, any, any religions that forbid their clergy to uh, marry? Catholic Church. You know, the... All the other wannabe Catholic Church. I can't think of their names right now. <laughs> um, but uh, there's a lot of them. And they were addressed... You know, uh, they call themselves a priest or whatever. They're forbidden to pray. So the Bible says that that's a good thing. He says, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. Notice what it says. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. You see that? So in the New Testament, are there dietary restrictions set on the New Testament believer? No, they are not. The Bible says that every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused. If it be received with thanksgiving, if it is, uh, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. So you know what you ought to do when you sit down with that nice ham on Christmas you know, Eve or whatever it is, whenever you celebrate it, you know you ought to just pray to God and thank Him for giving you that meal, sanctify it with the word of God in prayer, and then eat, and then this is what I would say, rise Peter, kill and eat. 
Because the Bible says it's okay to eat. Go with me to Colossians chapter number 2. Colossians chapter number 2. Colossians. Just go a little bit forward from 1 Timothy to Thessalonians and then Colossians. Colossians chapter number 2. Look at verse number 16. Colossians chapter number 2. Look at verse number 16. You say, well, Pastor Jimenez, why is it that at one point it was wrong to eat the dietary, uh, there was these dietary restrictions, and then in the Old Testament, uh, after the Levitical law, and then in the New Testament, we're allowed to eat these things. Why is that? Well, let me explain to you. Look at uh, uh, Colossians chapter number 2. Verse number 16. Colossians chapter number 2, verse number 16. Colossians is right before Philippians, right after Thessalonians. Colossians chapter number 2, and look at verse number 16. The Bible says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat, or in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow, look what it says, which are a shadow of things to come. But the body is Christ. So the Bible says that these things, what things? The meat, the drinks, the holidays, the new moons, the Sabbath days. In the Old Testament, all these ordinances that were given in the Old Testament, these ceremonial things, the sacrifices with the meat, the special drinks that they would do, the special feasts that they would do when the moon was in a certain place, the, the, the special holy days and all that. All those things, the Bible says, was a shadow of things to come. They were a, pi- a picture of things to come. What do you think that thing to come was? Jesus Christ. They were all a picture of Jesus Christ. And if you go back and study Leviticus, and one of these days we will do that, we'll go back and look at all those Levitical sacrifices and all the Levitical offerings, and you'll see how they all are a picture of what Jesus Christ, how He was going to be sacrificed for our sins, and how He was going to take, and all that was a picture of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus came, guess what? We don't sacrifice anymore. We don't keep the Sabbath day anymore. We don't keep those feast days anymore. Because Jesus fulfilled those things. Go with me to Hebrews chapter number 9. Hebrews chapter number 9. I hope, I hope you came to a Bible study tonight ready to study the Bible. Hebrews chapter number 9. Hebrews chapter number 9. Look at verse number 9. Hebrews chapter number 9. Look at verse number 9. Do you remember in Colossians it said they were a shadow of things to come? A shadow of things to come. Look at verse number 9. Actually, let's look at verse 8. The Holy Ghost is signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure. Am I pronouncing that right? Figure. I'm a, uh, I'm a foreigner. <laughs> so sometimes I mispronounce things. Which was a figure for the time then present, so you say, well, what's a figure? It's kind of like a shadow. What's a shadow? It's a figure. It's the same thing. So he says, for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in what? Meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. So, when were they imposed on them? Until when? The time of reformation. Say, what's the time of reformation? Well, I was taught in school the time of reformation was Martin Luther took this little piece of paper and nailed him on the cast. Well, look, people in history call things whatever they want, but, you know, the Bible, what does the Bible say the time of reformation is? Look at verse 11. 
but Christ being come and I preached the good things to come. So according to the Bible, what's the time of Reformation? When Jesus Christ came. Well, I thought it was Martin Luther. No, that's what man called it. That's why we need to be careful. You know, spiritual things are the Bible. Men are not spiritual and men will give names to certain things. They call that time when they, the, the, the Protestants came out of the Catholic Church. They'll call that the Reformation, but that's not what the Bible calls the Reformation. The Bible says the Reformation is like when you got saved, when Jesus Christ reformed you into a new being and Jesus Christ came. When Jesus Christ came, that was the Reformation. So at that point, we had meats, offerings, sacrifices, but once He came, all those things were done away with. Go me to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. Genesis should be easy to find. First book in the Bible. Genesis chapter 9. Look at verse number 1. In Genesis 9, if you remember from Sunday night, we've been preaching through the book of Genesis, Noah is coming off the ark. God just destroyed the earth with a flood. And notice what the Bible says to, to Noah. And I want you to keep in mind, Noah was before Moses. Roughly about 2,400 years before Moses. Noah was before the Levitical law. Okay? Before Moses gave the law. And it says, And God blessed Noah and his sons, and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth. And the fear of you, and the dread of you, shall be upon every beast of the earth, and upon every fowl of the air, and all that moveth upon the earth, and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. Okay? So, was it always wrong to eat pork? No. no. Time of Noah, God told him, eat up. Eat. I give in all of it as meat. Eat whatever you want. It's all, you know, that's why, you know, uh, you know, I'm not impressed with the PETA movement and all these uh, environmental movements that say, well, well, we can't eat these around. According to God, they were put here as meat for us. That's what the Bible says. And Noah was allowed to eat all of them. And here's what you got to understand when you're studying about the law. Is that there are what's called ordinances, which are ceremonial things. And then there are moral laws. And the moral laws were always, are just right and wrong. That doesn't change. But these ceremonial things that Moses instituted for the children of Israel were all a picture. They were all a figure. <laughs> they were all a shadow of things to come, of the reformation of Jesus Christ coming. And those things were all done away with. Let me, let me prove that to you. Let's keep reading. So, but I want you to see this. Is there something inherently sinful about getting carnitas at Chipotle? No. Now, if we lived in Old Testament Israel under the Levitical law, would it be sinful? Yes. Because at that time, but, but the action of eating that meat is not sinful in and of itself. Okay? God was using that as a picture. But before the Levitical law, back in the Genesis, Noah was told to eat whatever he wants. But let's keep reading. Look what it says. Verse 3. I'm sorry, verse 4. But the flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall you not eat. So does God, has God ever wanted you to drink blood? No. That's why when I go to uh, Black Angus, I get it well done. Because <laughs> I don't want blood. Because God says not to drink it. And surely your blood of your lives will I require. Now notice this. Now you got to keep in mind, and I don't want to spend too much time on this. God just destroyed the earth with Noah. Why? Because it was so evil. Because there was so much violence. 
So God is instituting a new law here. He says um, in verse 5, And surely your blood, of your, the blood of, your blood of your life will I require at the hand of every beast, will I require it, and at the hand of man, and at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he him. So, Genesis 9-6, we have God institute the death penalty. And what I'm trying to show you is this. Is has it ever been okay to kill a man? No. Did we need the Levitical law of Moses to know that it's wrong to kill a person? No, we did not. So that's a moral law. Has it ever been okay to commit adultery? Has it ever been okay to rob? Has it ever been okay to lie? No, those are moral laws. But the ceremonial ordinances aren't sinful in and of themselves. But once, because people often will say, "Well, Jesus Christ got rid of the law when he when he came." There's no more law. That's not true. Because look, you weren't allowed to kill somebody before the law of Moses. So moral laws will always be morality. You know, right is right is right is right is right all the time. Before Jesus, after Jesus, in the millennial reign, wherever you want to cut and splice it, doing right is always the right thing to do morally. But the ceremonial laws have been done away. So, go ahead and have the ham. Have the pork. Have the food. It's fine. Don't let anybody judge you according to your meats. Because they're wrong. And people who believe that, I'm telling you right now, they, here's their issue. They don't read their Bible. Because if they read Genesis, if they read uh, Leviticus, if they read Colossians, if they read Hebrews, if they just read their Bibles, they would say, oh, wait a minute, man, they're eating meat th- the whole time. So... So we got to understand, that's the physical... Go back with me to Acts chapter number 10. That's the physical application. The physical application is, yes, you're allowed to eat pork. You're allowed to eat shrimp. Go ahead and have your shrimp, whatever. You know, I'm not necessarily a fan of shrimp that much, but, you know, eat it. It's fine. There's nothing sinful about it. Just pray before you eat. That's what the Bible says. That's the physical application. Let's look at the spiritual application of Peter's vision. Look at verse 17. Acts 10, 17. Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto them, Behold, three men seek me. So Peter is thinking about this. He's like, man, what does that mean? And as he's thinking about it, he's told, you know, uh, the, the Spirit said to them, Behold, three men seek thee. Now here's what you've got to understand. Up to this point, the Jews have rejected the Gentiles. They look at the Gentiles as dogs. They look at the Gentiles as people. They do not talk to the Gentiles. They do not want anything to do with the Gentiles. And God is trying to show Peter that, I want you to go to the Gentiles. So he's thinking about this. What, what does this mean? What is this vision? Why did God show me this? And as he's thinking about this, three men seek him. Arise therefore, look at verse 20, Arise therefore and get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So notice, God says to Peter, Go with them. I know they're Gentiles. Just go with them. I sent them. Don't doubt it. Look at verse 21. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? And they said, Cornelius a centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God, and of a good report among all the nations of the Jews, was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee, and 
into his house and to hear words of thee. Now, I'm not going to take the time to talk about it right now, but I want you to focus, to, to see that the focus was that they were supposed to bring Peter to hear words of thee. So they're bringing Peter so Peter can say something to them. Look at verse 23. Then called he them in and lodged them. So they spent the night with Peter. And on the morrow, Peter went away with them. And I, and, and I want you to make note of this because it will become important in the rest of the chapter. And certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. So he, he lodged them that night. Then they went to Joppa. So Peter went with them the next day. And people from Joppa went with Peter. Okay? So you've you got to understand that. Look at verse 24. Or, I'm sorry, verse 25. And as Peter was coming in, in Cornelius, Cornelius met him and fell down on his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up. I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, Ye know, notice what he says, Ye know how that it is unlawful for a man that is a Jew to keep company, or come unto one, another's, one of another nation. But God showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So what was the spiritual application of the vision? To not call any man what well, common or unclean. The physical application, don't call any meat common or unclean. The spiritual application, don't call any man common or unclean. You ought not look down on people based on their nationality, on their skin color, on their race. The Bible says that He has made the whole world of the same blood. The Bible says that that, that, that you know that the house of God ought to be a house of prayer for all nations. The Bible says, you know, uh, I, I like the song that we sing as a kid. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. Look, the, these people who call themselves Christians who look down on other races and they're a bunch of racists, they're, they don't get that from the Bible because God specifically says, we ought not call any man common or unclean. That's the, that's the purpose of the vision. That's why God showed him that. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 29. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying. As soon as I was sent for, I asked therefore for what intent ye have sent unto me. Man, I am out of time. And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon, a tanner, and uh, by the seaside, who when he cometh shall speak unto thee. Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore are we all here present before God? God to hear notice what they're emphasizing they're there to hear all things that are commanded thee of God so we want you to tell us what God commanded you then Peter, notice the emphasis opened his mouth and said of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. The Bible says, you don't have to turn there, but in Romans uh, 2.11 it says, For there is no respect of persons with God. God does not respect any one man above another. There is no respect of persons. Look at verse 35. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. I'm running out of time, but I want to show you a few things here that are very interesting. Go, go back to verse 25. The Bible says, And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. So what did, when Peter walked in the room, what did Cornelius do? He fell down on his feet. And the Bible says when he did that, he was worshipping Peter. Now look at verse 26. But Peter took him up. Peter literally grabbed him, picked him up, saying, Stand up! 
I myself also am a man. Now, has anyone ever heard this? And I've heard this my entire life. But has anybody ever heard, the Catholic Church will say that Peter was the first pope. Has anybody ever heard that before? Peter was the first pope. Now, the, the pope, if you've ever watched the pope, you know, I've seen videos of him on, on the internet or whatever. When he goes into, what do people do when the pope, when, when the pope is in their presence? They bow their knee and, and they go to him. So I've got to ask this question. And he accepts that from them. I got this question. Was Peter the first pope? Did he accept, allow people to fall down before him and worship him? So then why does the pope do it today? You say, well, I, I don't like you bringing up this other religion. Well, look, we, the Bible's got to be our authority. Why we do things has to be our authority. And the Bible says that he fell down, and when he fell down, he was worshiping. And you know that if you study the word, and we will hear in a bit, uh, if you study the word worship in the Bible, you know what you'll find is always worship, is falling down on your face. Go with me to Joshua chapter number 5. Let's do it quickly because we're out of time. Miss Carol was kind enough to make a meal for us tonight after the service. And if you want to get to it quickly, we got to look at these verses. Joshua chapter number 5. If you can't get to it quickly, I'll read them for you. I'll give you my notes after the service if you want them. Or I'll let you jot them down if you can't. Just listen to, to it. Joshua chapter number 5. Look at verse 14. Joshua five fourteen. Jesus Christ, the second figure of the Godhead, the God in the flesh, is appearing to Joshua. Kind of like he did to, uh, to Jacob, you know, on Sunday night. Look at Joshua 5.14. And he said, Nay. Well, uh, let's, let's read verse 13. And it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or, our, or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. So Joshua, because Joshua's a military leader, and he sees this man come with a drawn sword, and he says, he says are, you, are you for us, or are you against us? And he said, I'm not for you or against you, I'm here to take charge. He says, I'm the captain of the, uh, of the Lord of hosts, and I now come. And Joshua fell, notice what it says, and Joshua fell on his face to the earth, and did worship. And said unto him, what saith my Lord unto his servant? So when Joshua wanted to worship God, what did he do? Fell on his face. Go with me to Second Chronicles chapter number twenty. Second Chronicles chapter number twenty. Second Chronicles chapter number twenty. Look at verse number eighteen. Second Chronicles chapter number twenty. Look at verse number eighteen. Second Chronicles twenty eighteen. The Bible says, "And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord." Worshipping the Lord. You see that? So when they fall before the Lord, what are they doing? They're worshipping the Lord. Go with me to Job chapter number 1. Job chapter number 1. Job chapter number 1. Look at verse number 20. Job chapter number 1. Look at verse number 20. I know we're going through a lot of Bible, but I think that's why you came to church to learn the Bible. Job, cha- Job chapter number 1. Look at verse number 20. Job 1.20 says this, Then Job arose, and rent his mantle, and shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground, and what did he do? Worshipped. You see that? He worshipped. Go to Isaiah. Isaiah, chapter number 44. Isaiah 44. Isaiah 44, look at verse 17. Isaiah 44, verse 17. 
And the residue thereof, he maketh a god. Now, notice that's a lowercase g for that god. So that's referring to an idol. Not When it's talking about God in heaven, it's always a capitalized g. When it's a lowercase g, it's, a, it's like the devil, or a demon, or an idol. So he says, and the residue thereof, he maketh a god. You notice he's making him. Even his graven image, he falleth down unto it, and worshipeth it, and prayeth unto it, and saith, Deliver me, for thou art my God. So notice when people bowed down to an idol, what were they doing according to the Bible? They were worshipping. Go to Isaiah 46, 6. Isaiah chapter number 46. Look at verse 6. Isaiah chapter number 46. Verse 6. The Bible says, They lavish gold out of the bag, and weigh silver in the balance, and hire a goldsmith, and he maketh it a god. So they're talking about making a god out of gold, idolatry. They fall down, yea, they worship. Do I have to show you more verses or have I made my point? In the Bible, what is worship? Falling down. You know, churches today will have a worship service. And here's our worship service. They're singing. Is that what worship is in the Bible? Is it? I mean, look up, look, if you study the word worship in the Bible, what do you find people doing? They're groveling on their faces, either worshiping an idol, which is wrong, or worshiping God, Almighty God. That's what worship is. Someone says to me, let's go to a worship service. I'm thinking, we're going to be on our knees praying. Not, you know, Lord, we lift your name. That's not a worship service. That's just singing. You know, we have a singing service here. But what is worship? Falling on your knees. And the Bible says, whenever you fall on your knees before anyone, you're worshiping. That's why, do you remember in the book of Esther? What was the big deal with, uh, with Mordecai and Haman? Why, why did Haman, you know, di- uh, try to kill the Jews? Because they made a law that when Haman was in your presence, you have to fall on your knees. And Mordecai refused to fall on his knees. Why? Because he knew that if he fell on his knees, he'd be worshipping him. Do you remember the, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, the story, in Daniel when King Nebuchadnezzar made that great image? And he said unto them, when you hear the music play, I want you to fall on your knees. And they refused to. Now people will say today, when, I, when, when we as Catholics, when we kneel down in front of the Pope, or we kneel down in front of an idol, that's what it is. You know, they make Mary or they make this whatever. Isn't that what Isaiah is talking about? And then, well, we're not worshipping. It's just that, well, according to the Bible, you are worshipping. Because what is worship? When you get on your knees before anybody. For anything. And when Peter, who supposedly is the first pope, somebody gets on his knees, he picks him up and says, look, I'm a man just like you. Don't, don't do that. Do you remember in the book of Revelation when, when an angel appears to John? John thinks it's, it's God. And he falls down before him. And the angel, who actually was a, 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 an individ, a saved individual, who was already in heaven, he picked him up and he said, hey, I'm not God. All throughout the Bible, when, when people fell down before Christians, they said, hey, get up. I'm a man, just like you. But do you remember, and I won't take the time to do it because I'm out of time. Do you remember in John chapter 20, we were just there a few weeks ago when we were preaching through the book of John. In John 20, when Thomas fell down before Jesus, and he said, my Lord and my God, and he worshipped him. What was Jesus' response? Oh, get up, get up. No. Jesus accepted his worship. Why? Because Jesus is God. And let me tell you something. The Pope is not God. He's a man. And, and we ought not ever bow down and worship anything or anyone other than the Lord Almighty God Himself. And that's, that's wrong. It's a sin. It's a sin to worship. It's actually in the Ten Commandments. And we won't take the time to, to, to look at those. But, uh, you know, I don't have time to finish the, the entire chapter. We, we may finish it next week or we may not. I don't know. 
But, but I want you to see there, you know, the, the main points of, that I wanted to get across tonight were this. It is okay to eat meats. It is okay to eat pork. It's okay to eat shrimp. It's okay, look, if you're into camels, eat the camel. That's fine. But the spiritual application is this. We are not called any man common or unclean. Cornelius would have never had Peter give him the gospel if God wouldn't have showed him, hey, it's okay, go to the Gentiles. Get them the gospel. Peter just got saved. I mean, Paul just got saved. And Paul's going to go out and he's going to go to Ephesus. He's going to go to uh, Philippi. He's going to go to Rome. He's going to go to all these different places where Gentiles are and get them saved. And that's what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that, that you know, that's, that's why you're saved. That's why I'm saved. Because we're Gentiles and we were brought in. And, and it's all, you know, I, I love uh, Acts chapter number 10, one of my favorite, favorite uh, chapters in the Bible. So, anyway, we're out of time, so let's go ahead and bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, so much for...